Welcome to Parsha in Progress. I'm Abigail Pogrebin, author of My Jewish Year. And I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, president of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. And we are two very different Jews talking about the same very resonant, relevant Torah. Hello, Dov. Hello, Abby. We are in Bo, in Exodus. Yes. And Bo means? Come. Come. Or go. Go unto Pharaoh. And who's going? Moses is going. Moses and Aaron are going. And they are wrapping up the ten plagues and bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And the final plague we all know, no matter how much Jewish education we got in our childhoods, nobody forgets the death of the firstborn. Right, especially if you were a firstborn child, which I am not, but my firstborn son is a firstborn child. <laughs> and I have to tell you that every Passover night, my not only him, but both of my boys, when we recited the 10 plagues, refused to recite the 10th one because they took like, uh, you know, a moral objection to it. They said, how is it fair that all of these innocent babies are slaughtered for having doing nothing wrong? Mm. And they, we would have to just skip over that discussion because I didn't have a good answer for them. Well, how would you answer it today? Well, look, I don't have an answer that makes sense on a moral plane. I think the Torah often deals with um, collective justice, collective punishment. So, you know, the community suffers for the sins of the individuals. And I think there's something symbolic. In an earlier verse, God says, um, you know, Israel is my firstborn, and if you don't send out my firstborn, I will slay your firstborn. So at a symbolic level, if you think about the nation, the Egyptian nation, not freeing God's firstborn and their firstborn being slayed, okay, it's a n nice, powerful symbol. But on the human level... Nice is... I'd be careful. <laughs> okay. It's a powerful symbol. But on the human level, you've got a lot of innocent babies that are dying for nothing wrong that they've done. Which so is very, it's very hard to reconcile. So in uh, verse 1229, just to remind everyone just how kind of bleak it is. In the middle of the night, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. This is obviously Egyptian firstborn, yes. not Israelite. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. I don't remember that the cows were... Yeah, <laughs> they don't get a lot of play. And it, and then skipping one uh, a little bit ahead, and Pharaoh arose in the night with all of his courtiers and all the Egyptians because there was a loud cry in Egypt, for there was no house where there was not someone dead. That is pretty, like you just- Tragic. Just horrific. Hard. Right. Don't you think we have to at least take a moment and look at how scorched earth this punishment is? I mean, the, this is as innocent as it gets, yeah, these kids. Totally. I don't have any answer to that. I mean, the same way my boys, you know, had a problem with this, they have a problem every time in the Torah that God is punishing the Israelites also and wiping them out with plagues because of some sins that they did. I mean, this is particularly harsh because it's these innocent babies, but there seems to be a lot of collective punishment going on in the Torah, to which I do not have a good answer to. So what do you really believe, though? Do you really, when you look at what the Egyptians did to the Israelites, yeah. how many years of oppression? 300? 210. There's a lot of revenge stored up there. Right. That's justifiable. Right. So in your heart of hearts? No, because it doesn't, it doesn't explain punishing innocent babies, you know? I mean, it, it, there's ways you can make people suffer without killing the innocent. I can afflict uh, the, the, the guilty with 
boils and blisters and tremendous suffering and agony, um, but they're the guilty party. But you don't punish the guilty by killing their innocent babies. Except it worked. It worked to free them. It, it would worked have worked to, to free, free them the before Israelites. that if God hadn't hardened Pharaoh's heart. I don't know. I don't. So you I, don't think we needed the last I, plague. I think a. I think a good question is better than a bad answer. I think that if you give a an unsatisfactory answer, you're making your peace with something that you shouldn't be making your peace with, and you're allowing it to be nicely wrapped up in a bow. So I think by saying this is a real problem, and I'm not going to try to give an answer that I know is not really addressing the 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 deep moral issue. Um, I think that's the better approach. That's just a, a shortcut. <laughs> You'd rather have a bad answer? What's your answer, Abby? So when we take our pinkies and yes. drop 10 drops of wine on our yes. plate as we recite these plagues, yes. is it not the case that this is these are our symbolic tears for the loss of life, of Egyptian life? So that is certainly traditionally how it's understood. But uh, And I acknowledge that, that we could say that even when punishment is justified, that doesn't mean that we don't have to cry over the loss of life. But that's not understood emphasizing that innocents were killed. That's saying guilty were killed, but there's still human life that's being destroyed. So I don't think we have we ever have really fully confronted it. I'd rather leave it as an open question than give some Do you do those drops answer. of wine? I do. And what do you think you're doing them for? I think what you're getting at is, am I willing to reinterpret this as doing them for the loss of innocent life. And I could. That's an interesting approach, which still doesn't answer the question. It's just saying, I'm going to acknowledge I'm that going, this is a problem. I'm going to be conscious of what price was paid for our freedom. Right. Okay. So then the fact that I think what is lost on many of us who read the Haggadah and kind of breeze over this part of the Exodus is that God already foresaw that we'd be having satyrs forever right. to mark this. And God specifically talked about the matzah way at the beginning. And I have the verse here. So it's 12:14. This day shall be to you one of remembrance. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout the ages. You shall celebrate it as an institution for all time. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the very first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day to the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So how does God know that in our escape, we are not going to have time to let our bread rise? God knows everything. God can know the future. But how is God commanding us about a symbol that is not meaningful to us yet in the story? So one way of understanding this is that the matzah might have at one level nothing to do with the story of hastening out of the land. So uh, what other meanings could it have? Well, one meaning could be that this was the spring and the holiday of the first harvest of the barley, and maybe there was a traditional eating of matzah that was associated with this agricultural period unrelated to this time. So I know that sounds strange, but you might remember way was back... Was matzah on the menu in any other time in the Torah? I'm so glad you asked that, because way back when, when the angels came to Lot to save him, you remember that story way back when, and the destruction of Sodom and Amorah? It says that he fed them matzahs. So it could be that this was the time of year that this was a traditional food. Now, I don't know if that explains enough why that should be the focus of the story, but that's one idea. Another idea is, is matzah a symbol of slavery? 
or a symbol of freedom? Both. There you go. You got an A on the test. Thank you. Where do we say it's a symbol of slavery? In the Haggadah. So we say right at the beginning, this is the poor person's bread that our fathers ate. This in is the, the bread of affliction. Right. So it's not just symbolizing the freedom and the hastening out. It's a thin bread. It doesn't rise. It's a bread to feed poor people. It fills up your stomach. So maybe in this stage of the story, it symbolizes the oppression. And only when they left did that symbol of the oppression transform into a symbol of freedom. Okay. I really like that. Yeah. I just think that's a completely Jewish idea. Uh-huh. There's so many times, I think, where suffering of our ancestors also turns into reinvention. You know, we were once discussing memory of the Exodus story, and you said we're supposed to remember that we suffered. And I said, why are we supposed to remember we suffered? We're supposed to remember that we were freed. And it seems to me that you're sort of wrapping those two together like you are here. You're saying that it's really important that those be part of the same story. The same symbol, one year can be about freedom, and the next year can be about slavery. And, you know, sometimes it's about both of them together. I do think that's the way life is, right? That we are both our suffering and our survival of the suffering. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And hopefully we all don't suffer to this extent, but we carry our struggles with us. Yeah, no, I think that's a great insight. Remember Rabbi David Ingber once giving a teaching about the brokenness of the matzah and how basically brokenness is maturity. Mm. It's growing up. Mm. We all have to break in order to kind of find our wholeness. Mm -hmm. We do carry our brokenness. And in the same way, like the matzah is both a constant reminder of how hard things were. And it's also a constant reminder that we got saved from it, that we got the chance Mm -hmm. to live again start again. I mean, I like that idea because I think it also connects to the story. You know, the story we tell is not a prepackaged narrative where we're just reading words. The story we tell is we take a little version of the story and we break it up into little pieces and then we extrapolate and, you know, interpret every little tiny little word, right? So that gets to your point of like the brokenness. If it was such a perfect story from beginning to end and we just read the words, it would like go in one ear and out the other. But by breaking it and finding the cracks and finding, what was that line from Leonard Cohen about everything has cracks, that's how the light gets in? So I think that's maybe part of how we tell the Pesach story. That's nice. So here's to brokenness (laughs) and matzah every morning. Oh, God. (laughs) Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, Abby. Parsha in Progress is written and hosted by Abigail Pogrebin and Rabbi Dove Linzer. The show is produced by Shira Telushkin and executive produced by Josh Cross and Tablet Magazine. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. We'd be so grateful if you'd head over to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps more people find us. You can also write or fetch to us at this email, Parsha in Progress at tabletmag.com. Thanks for listening.